you know, uh, make relationships with people. Um, and I've done this now make relationships with people that will check in on you. And, and we have peer support groups um, in all of our organizations. Uh, and, but you know, they are maybe, maybe they're not a peer support person, but find mm -hmm. find somebody that's yeah. going to kind of hold you accountable. Hey, Love you're kind of you're kind of edgy. Everything all right. You know, yeah. not not at nauseum, but somebody who knows you, somebody that can do that. Good morning and welcome everybody to the kitchen table. In this podcast, we sit down with leaders from across the country to have real and honest conversations around all things leadership. We call it the kitchen table because we know some of the best conversations at the firehouse take place at the kitchen table. And the goal with the podcast is to focus that kitchen table energy into talking leadership. And today, our guest is a practicing paramedic for King County Medic One. He has nearly 30 years of experience in fire and EMS, starting as a volunteer firefighter in 1993 our guest discovered a passion for trying to make a difference in people's lives. And in early 2004, he was hired full-time as a career firefighter for the Marysville Fire District. In 2005-2006, he then attended paramedic training at Harborview Medical Center through the University of Washington School of Medicine, becoming a mobile intensive care unit paramedic. In mid-2012, he landed his dream job and became a King County Medic One paramedic, where he's been practicing medicine ever since. Our guest has been married for 23 years has two adult sons, and has a strong passion for EMS education. Today, we welcome in Division Chief Mark Sodden of King County Medic One. Good morning, Chief. Thank you so much for joining today on the kitchen table. How are you this morning? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, now, I do have to give a shout out to my friend and mentor, Stephen Rawson. Steve, as we know, mental and physical wellness advocate uh, for us here in the training division. And we're here today because of our show's Leadership Pre-Challenge. Uh, he asked that uh, we have you on the kitchen table to share a message and a story. Uh, so thank you, Steve, and thank you, Mark, for this conversation that we're going to have today. Uh, now I understand the train division has added a medic position in the train division. Uh, can you share a little bit uh, about this new position? Yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting uh, new thing, and uh, I'm super excited to be in this spot and, and just humbled that I, I was chosen to kind of do this inaugural kind of uh, pathway. Uh, the new position really is to kind of inject uh, that ALS perspective um, into the consortium to then trickle out clearly all the way down to the crews and and to the patient care component of it. Uh, my two main tasks in this position are to aid uh, and assist with all BLS training that comes out of the consortium. So, you know, really the meat and potatoes of that BLS component is uh, in my wheelhouse currently. Uh, and the other really large piece um, is the quality assurance and uh, and just uh, that that run review piece and really making sure that uh, what we are doing or uh, and taking care of patients is making a difference. And so that QAQI component uh, is another really um, integral piece uh, that we're just we're just getting started with. So um, this 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 division chief position uh, clearly is new and it's the first injection of uh, the King County Medic uh, paramedics into uh, basically the zone at this level. And, uh, you know, I, I agree with your initial statements. I, it would be, uh, it would have been great for us to, uh, to have started this long ago, but you know what, we have an awesome opportunity at this moment where we are to, uh, to grow it 
currently. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited that, uh, that we've, we're on the right path and things yeah. are definitely headed the right direction. That's amazing. And our train division and ultimately the service that we provide will be better because of it. Uh, so before we get started, do you mind sharing a little bit about Mark Sodden? Yeah, you bet. I mean, I, I think my, my bio definitely tells, tells the tale of uh, the path that I've kind of been on, which is not, uh, not, a, not a secret to anybody and, and probably very similar to everybody who's listening today. You know, I, uh, I really found my passion for fire and EMS uh, shortly after high school and coming across a car crash. Uh, I, you know, I'm from the North End, uh, graduated, a graduate of uh, Bothell High School. Uh, and oh. shortly after high school, I came across a car crash and I got out of my car to help and didn't, didn't know exactly what to do. And, uh, you know, uh, we had an unconscious patient in the front of a vehicle. The guy didn't seem like he was breathing well. It seemed natural that I should kind of hold his head up and allow him to breathe. And mm -hmm. I did that. And uh, <laughs> fire crews from District 7 showed up and, uh, you know, the, the first interaction with a firefighter was extremely positive. You know, he was like, wow, you're, you're doing exactly what you <laughs> need to do. Keep doing that. And I was bit, I was bit by the bug. Yes, you were. And, yes, you, were. Uh, you know, from there, uh, I tackled, you know, I tackled uh, all the things that I read out in the bio. Um, but you know, the, the fire, the fire path that I've been on, um, you know, in, from the paramedic perspective really led me to the fire side, you know, the, the mm -hmm. fighting fire side, which was the passion that I fell in love with to get started with. And to, to be blatantly honest, the, the EMS piece kind of trickled in um, being, you know, over 80% of what we all do. Um, it became a, a pretty serious passion for me, which, you know, obviously led me to, to Harborview and those different pieces. You know, I just want to say, though, I'm, I'm more I'm more than just uh, I'm more than just a firefighter paramedic. You know, I mean, inside of these these crazy firefighter paramedic lives that we lead, you mm -hmm. intertwine family and, and, uh, and, and different pieces. And, you know, everything I do, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, is for my family. And I, and I think that's, I think everybody would say that. And I'm talking tough here. Uh, you know, uh, do, you know, when the rubber meets the road, you know, sometimes uh, we, we wax and wane on doing mm -hmm. things. Uh, and, uh, you know, my family really is a priority as well. And so, yeah. you know, that's a, you know, a little bit more uh, about my philosophy, I guess, with, uh, awesome. with my career so far. Thank you so much for sharing, Chief. And today our leadership conversation will revolve around mental health, peer support, EMS, and I'm sure so much more. Um, so let's dive right in with, into this. So, Chief, uh, do you mind sharing a little bit about a call that you responded to that brought us here to having this conversation on the kitchen table today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the call that I'm wanting to share is like, like, like everybody, probably just one of many uh, hundreds. I don't know. Uh, one of many that I think just kind of sparked a bunch of things that maybe I had been kind of um, pushing down for a number of years. And the call I want to share was, uh, was a, uh, was a shooting, uh, you know, down in the South End here going on all these different shootings is becoming fairly normalized. Uh, but this particular shooting um, had multiple patients. Uh, it was a, a, a nighttime event uh, with a mob uh, of people that more or less spilled out uh, of a bar into the street. And I found myself with my paramedic partner splitting. Um, and uh, my job and goal was to triage a, a certain area um, and, and look for patients while my, my partner was looking at a different area. And then we were going to come back together. Um, 
you know, I guess just to kind of share some of the specifics, you know, when we when we got there, the, the patient that I found was uh, had ongoing CPR by police officers. Uh, the police officers uh, appeared scared, wide eyed. Uh, the mob, I, I will use that term. Um, the mob was very close proximity to them working, uh, which just kind of in turn made it close for me as I got down to do my triage. A BLS provider was with me and we both kind of triaged this patient. And I quickly realized that this, this patient's injuries were more or less incompatible with life. Um, and in that triage situation, I was prepared to move on. Uh, but this is where this is where the divergent comes with the training that we do and that kind of spidey sense, I guess I'll say, mm -hmm. of I recognized uh, very, very quickly that this was not going to be a, a, a triage and move on situation. Almost immediately, I was grabbed, pushed to the ground. My gear bag was opened up. And people were yelling and screaming at me to do something and help this person. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't something I was uh, really expecting. Again, I had a plan that wasn't the plan. Um, and I and I I'll just I'll just kind of wrap that whole part up to say that in the, that next 30 minute evolution, uh, while I stayed by the side of that patient that really had injuries incompatible to life, I was scared for my own life. I, I was uh, I had never been that scared on a call uh, as I lifted my head up and, and looked around and I can still see these things very, very, very clearly in my mind. Um, I'm doing this in the midst of bullet casings. I'm doing this in the midst of lots of blood um, and these different pieces. And I recognized that if I got up and walked away from that patient, that entire mob was going to follow me to where I was going to go, which was where all the other providers were taking care of all of the other patients. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. the, the BLS provider that was uh, assisting me is, uh, is a superhero. And, uh, he, he saw this in my eyes, uh, and we had, uh, multiple quiet whispering conversations. And I basically just enlisted the police officers to help us do CPR. I feel like it's important for me to share that I was scared Yeah, and I, uh, I know what I'm trained to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I know the algorithm. We know the algorithm. Uh, but I also recognized that something very bad was going to happen if I if I followed the yeah. uh, the algorithm at that point. Well, I mean, and kind of to your point, we do train a lot, but only to an extent. I mean, we've talked a lot on the show, some of the easiest calls. And, you know, I don't say easiest, you know, lightly by any means, but we perform so well as a whole when we're doing, you know, the protocols, the black and white, the algorithms, like you said, you know, we can show up and do a CPR and we can show up and put a fire out. Those things are, you know, more or less easy to do because it's black and white. And we're just out there performing the, the protocols and the algorithms. But how do you train for a situation? You know, for example, the one you experienced, you know, quite impossible to know how one would respond. I mean, I couldn't tell you, you know, that I know how I would respond until, you know, I'm put into that situation. Um, but I'm curious, and I'm sure we'll get into this eventually later as well. Uh, what transpired after the call? How did the crew cope? How did you cope? Yeah, you know, it was it was um, it was a it was an interesting thing because you know, again, uh, un unfortunately, the these assaultive traumas are, are are fairly normalized now. And and do I dare say that the multiple patient assaultive traumas have become more normalized just just in this short time, maybe year yeah. a year or so ago? Yeah. Um, and I think the reflection during that time, you know, I for me personally, I kind of 
felt like I digested that call for, um, well, first of all, there was no verbal debrief. So mm. to answer your question mm. directly, there was, there really wasn't much of a debrief. It, it, it wasn't like the hot wash uh, that, you know, we see frequently on yeah. calls, maybe now, um, you know, maybe not consistently, but depending on personnel and, and who's kind of forwarding that there really was no hot wash per se. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess what I would add is, is that it took me, it took me, I mean, I feel like I was in a daze from that call for a week. I mean, honestly, and, and I think, you know, flashing forward to the weeks after that, I started to realize, and and this is kind of the message is I started to realize that that one call really opened up the floodgates to all the other stuff. And yeah. I found myself on calls after that call. Um, loud noises kind of yeah. startled me a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, you know, the drive home, again, living in the North End, I've got time to reflect on my drive home, which is great decompression. Uh, but it really allowed a lot of those other calls to kind of come to the surface. And I, I quickly started to realize that I'm a little bit more anxious. I have a little bit more anxiety. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not frightened or scared to do my job, but at the same time, I'm nervous about yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. These are all new feelings to some extent for me. And so, I, I mean... That's that's kind of the that's kind of the difficult part of the transition from, you know, that one call into Absolutely. the next thought process of what am I going to do? Well, first off, hats off to you, Chief, for that self-recognition. You know, how many of us, you know, don't recognize or we could even say, you know, deny, um, you know, the traumas that going on that go on in our heads, you know, after big events, high stress calls, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I'm curious, what were your next steps uh, and how did you cope, you know, thereafter? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was kind of difficult there the first the first couple of weeks. Um, one of the things that we do do from the, the medic side of the fence is that we do do a um, paramedic led run review mm -hmm. uh, where paramedics come together and share calls, you know, experiences. They, they tend to be more geared towards the operation and the, the, the medicine delivery and the outcomes of patients. Uh, but this particular call was. Um, somewhat reviewed, um, and and a presentation was made, and 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 I, you know, I had a chance to speak on on my feelings uh, during that time, um, but quickly after about a week or so, I, you know, I, I mentioned my family is important. My, I mean, my wife's my best friend. You know, I I start talking to my wife about this, who, by the way, you know, I don't normally talk about these things, so it was odd in just that that gesture that I was reaching reaching out. And, you know, some really important information that she shared with me was, you know, um, you twitch all night long, mm. you snore heavily all night long. You know, I can tell when you have a bad day. Mm. Um, I, I guess I had not really connected um, with these, you, you say warning signs, both mentally and physically. I, to some extent, I had some physical, <laughs> physical uh, abnormalities that my wife has seen mm -hmm. uh, for years, years. Yeah. And to some sense, you know, maybe normalized like, oh, that's just normal. And, right. Um, right. and I, I, I think that that's, that's, you know, what I really started to, to recognize. Yeah. Um, moving, moving forward from there, I, I, you know, I, we do, you know, we do listen to these types of things. And when you hear these warning signs, you're supposed to do something. So I have this internal struggle for another couple of weeks. Mark, what are you going to do about this? Are you going to, are you going to do anything about this? Or are you just going to 
you're going to do what you always do and just it'll yeah. go away in a couple months. Yeah. I decided to not do that. I decided oh. that I needed to uh, reach out and try and figure out how to do this. And, and I'll, I'll just make a really uh, long ordeal fairly short. I reached out to my own physician, my own doctor, and I really tried to navigate and explore the thought process of talking to somebody, a mental health expert. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll wholeheartedly say that I failed at the, the, the mental health expert uh, location and uh, didn't really do a very good job of looking for the resources. Um, and uh, I know there are several out there um, and we all love to say, these are the resources, these are the resources, but I, I'm here to say that I, I didn't look at those resources. And what I ended up with was at my own doctor and the thought process of, do I need medicine? Do, is there a medicine do with that might help with my anxiety? Is there a medicine that might help with uh, maybe even to some extent, some of these depression type symptoms that I was having? And, and, and again, we're flash, we're fast forwarding a yeah. couple months at this point where I'm struggling with what yeah. to do. And so yeah. that's what I, that's kind of the process of what I did um, in those weeks and, and months after. And, and as, as you talk about that, you said, you know, after the call, after the debrief, the presentation that you gave, after the review of the call, you know, you said you took it upon yourself to get help. And, you know, I, I, how many of us, including myself, you know, don't or won't take it upon ourselves, you know, to ask for help, to admit struggle. I mean, honestly, probably a lot of us, right? I mean, if we're truly honest. Uh, so I got to ask, Chief, uh, how are you now? Uh, what have you done, you know, to get beyond it? You know, I, I don't think we necessarily get beyond it. You know, but we do learn from experiences. So, yeah, how are you doing now? Well, you know, I mean, I'm doing great. Uh, well, I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess what I would say is, is that in this this process of, you know, I mean, I appreciate that, you know, that I recognized it and I did something about it. Uh, but recognizing and doing something about it when someone says you need to, maybe you should take this medicine or maybe you should do this thing. That's the next level, right? Like you're making that commitment to you know, you're putting your money where your mouth is to some extent, right? Like say, Hey, I want this help. And then I'll, now I'm willing to receive this help. Um, and I guess with the treatment type stuff, I, you know, I, I, I found myself trying a couple different helpful medicines to see if that would help. And, and honestly, they weren't helping. Mm -hmm. And I was still struggling with trying to find a mental health professional in my local area, to to really reach out to uh and in that process i met with another doctor who uh who really found something really uncovered something really really important uh in 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 me mm -hmm. which was i told my story and he basically interrupted me and said stop just stop you have sleep apnea also mm. and you need to get proper sleep uh, sleep uh, became kind of the focus of this physician. And I'm going to be honest, I, I thought this, I'm like, okay, this might be my last visit with this physician. I'm like, he's not listening to me. He doesn't understand what I just told him. Maybe he doesn't even recognize what we do and don't do and what we see. Uh, and I'll have to say that that was very kind of weird for that doctor to say, listen, you have sleep apnea and your, your brain's not getting, you're not getting the proper rest. Moving forward from that, I'll just I'll just let you know that I was eventually talked into doing a sleep study. 
Um, and uh, again, uh, with conversations with my wife, uh, not even recognizing my wife has been wearing earplugs to bed for the last 15 years because I snore so loud. Uh, my wife uh, knows that I twitch all night long. My, my wife can recognize I'm not getting good sleep. But again, that normalization of what is normal. Yeah, I was talked into doing a sleep study. And uh, in the sleep study information that came back, um, uh, and just, just for everybody's uh, information, uh, the sleep study that I did was a home kit. Uh, it was very, very, very simple. Uh, if you can put a pulse ox on and a nasal cannula on, which I know all of you can, uh, you can do this. You can do this. Uh, and I did it at home. And I did it. I slept in my own bed. I wasn't all stickered up. And it was not that big of an ordeal. Uh, and my results were in within 24 hours. And I went back to get my results. And as I walked into the doctor's office, they said, oh, this is the guy. This is the guy. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. And, and really what it was is that my numbers of my apneic events and my disruptive sleep were off the charts. My O2 sats were in the low 80s most of the night. Wow. And I didn't even recognize, even as an EMS provider, that every morning I'm waking up with a ripping headache. And within the first half an hour of me being awake, I'm taking ibuprofen because I have a headache. Wow. I've been doing this for a very long Years. time. And so I I I I, I did the did the study. Um, they told me I have sleep apnea. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't fit the the I don't fit the the profile. Right. I don't fit you know my body habitus isn't isn't fit this. And um, long long story short is I got a CPAP machine four months later after supply chain issues. Whole different topic. <laughs> <laughs> the first night I slept with that machine, I woke up in the morning and I. I, I can't even explain how different I felt. It was like the lights were on. Uh, I could breathe. My head was clear. For the first time in months, I had I woke up without a headache. Wow. And from every single day forward, sleeping with that machine has helped me. Wow. And And I guess full circle with how I'm doing mentally, I think sleep and this is all anecdotal, I think sleep has such a profound component of how we deal with these things and process. Absolutely. And especially when we see things year, day after day, week after week, month, year, we see all these things. If we're not getting the appropriate amount of sleep, our body and our mind doesn't have a chance, I think, to to wash these things. And, and that's not to, to dismantle the thought process of getting help from uh, a, a trained professional. It's not to dismantle like, oh, just sleep a bunch and things will go away. Mm -hmm. But I am telling you that it has made it much better Absolutely. in how I deal with those things cognitively Absolutely. Uh, um, from the full circle of what we're talking about. Yeah. I don't think any of the listeners can deny the importance of sleep, uh, but more importantly, how this profession and fire and EMS how much the disruption of sleep hinders our ability to not only think cognitively, but also to perform physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, and here we have someone who has changed over the years, you know, as noticed, you know, by your wife and yourself, uh, something like a sleep study changed your life. We've talked about this in the past, uh, be, you know, having the inability to quantify a negative. Throughout our careers, how many of us will say, you know, I wish I could have done this or that, or I wish I would have done this or that. Um, but it is amazing that what I've heard about CPAP machines, what they've done for people, specifically those in the fire service, you said you noticed an incredible difference just from day one. Do you still use it today? 
I do. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I have not slept a night since I got that without using it. Wow. And I, I, I mean, the accumulative effects, uh, you know, if I could take how I felt that first day um, and, and make it better, uh, that's yeah. exactly the path I'm on. Uh, wow. Every, and progressively over time, you know, I, I think it's going to help. I mean, but for me also, remember, my life has changed. You know, I'm I'm now with this new position in the office working days. And so you talk about creating habits to get good sleep. Yes. You know, it, it would be one thing for me to say, oh, no big deal. Just create this habit to do it. But then calls happen and life exactly. happens. Exactly. And we are built. We are all built for crisis management. That's, yep. that's where we thrive. Mm -hmm. Give me a problem and I will fix it. Exactly. And, and that's exactly how we run our, you know, in my opinion, that's yes. how I was running my personal health. My yep. mental health is crisis management. It's not, it's not preventative um, and, or right. wasn't preventative. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's a, that's a personal journey that, you know, I think the entire intent of having this podcast and, and this conversation is to you know, bring awareness to it. And if this speaks exactly. to you and you hear some of the things we are saying and, yeah. and it, it, it sparks an interest in, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of doing those things, yep. you know, you might try and shift from crisis management to, yep. you know, putting a plan in place and yeah. kind of sorting those things out. So I'll ask the question, you know, based on your experience on calls you've seen through the years, your experience with sleep apnea, you know, coupled with the changes, you, you know, your spouse has seen in you and the changes you've noticed in yourself, having the humility to say, I'm going to seek help in which let's be honest, you know, it does take a lot of humility and courage to say so, let alone, you know, to do so. Uh, but if there's anything that you could change, you know, after, you know, this entire process, this entire learning process, you know, what would that be? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things that I would do uh, differently. I mean, first and foremost, the, the easy low hanging fruit of this is I, I would have done something sooner. Uh, you know, uh, this isn't the first, it won't be the last call that has some of these sparking features. Um, and so, you know, don't, don't wait, I guess is what I would say. Um, you know, if you're not, if you're not the type of person to say, well, I, I can't do preventative maintenance. There's no, there's no issue right now. Um, it, it's going to happen uh, is, is my opinion. And especially in the line of work that we're, we've all chosen to, to be in, we're, we're going to be there. So, I guess, I guess don't wait. And I, sh I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have waited. Mm -hmm. The other part is, is that, you know, I wish I would have engaged there was, you know, and I'll just pull the bandaid off here. Right. Like there's a, there's a sense of like, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not the true provider I can be if I admit my weaknesses or I show my cards, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, that traditional sense of it's not it's not cool to to tell everybody, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this problem or I'm struggling with this call. Uh, I wish I would have made the decision to not let that steer me sooner. Mm -hmm. I think for our new listeners or our new firefighters uh, that are out there, you're just getting started with your career. Um, mental health is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with you if something happens on a call and uh, and it bugs you and it bothers you. Um, and uh, I, I wish I wish that I wouldn't have let that kind of uh, stigma uh, yeah. come in, come into my mindset. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then the last thing is, is that, you know, 
make a relate make relationships again you know I, I we all have brothers and sisters in in the fire service and you know I make relationships with people um and I've done this now make relationships with people that will check in on you and yeah. and, and we have peer support groups um in all of our organizations uh and, but you know they are maybe they're not a peer support person but find mm-hmm. find somebody that's yeah. going to kind of hold you accountable hey Love you're kind of you're kind of edgy. Everything yeah. all right? You know, yeah. not not at nauseum, but somebody who knows you, somebody that can do that. I I wish that I would have had. I wish I would have had made the effort to yeah. make a relationship with somebody on that level to okay. to hold each other accountable. Almost a I don't know a a, a buddy system of I sorts. Love I love um, that. I I think if I had. And you got to you got to be willing to do that for somebody else too, exactly. right? Like I think early on we talked about you know the difficulty of, you know how do you how do you how do you help your 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 crewmates? You know yeah. how do you help? Well, I may not know my crew as well. Yeah. I may not know my paramedic partner the way I know you know my other paramedic partner. And yeah. you know sometimes that 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 makes it difficult. So those are a couple things. Like wow, I love that piece. I really do. You know, reach out to someone. Say you know what, help me out. Check on me once a month. Ask me how I'm doing physically, mentally, emotionally. You know, make me be honest with you. You know, I'll, I'll do this. I'll be the same for you. You know, if I don't see you in a month, if you don't see me, text me, call me. You know, let's help each other out. Let's hold each other accountable for our well-being. Wow, that's uh, I love that piece. Let's let's be intentional, and we're well. You know, we're talking about our mental wellness, which will you know get us further than our physical wellness at times. Um, so let's go to the rapid fire. You know, Chief. Uh, this is where we offer some tips to our listeners to start doing today to grow as leaders. And so the three different groups we'll talk to, Chief, let's talk to the first one here. It's the uh, the newer firefighter. This could be a newer paramedic, a newer EMT, a recruit firefighter, probationary firefighter, or someone newer in their career. What's one thing that you would recommend that they start doing today early in their career to adopt this mindset of taking care of self, prioritizing mental wellness, um, and so they're not looking back in 20 or 30 years saying, you know what, I wish I would have been doing X, Y, Z all along. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think this goes back to the sound foundations of of leadership, right? And and just because you are not a, a chief of something or a company officer of something, you are a leader. You're a leader. You're, you are a leader in your own world. You're a leader to your uh, your shift mates. You're a leader to your family. You're a leader in your you know, in, in life. And so I guess walk the walk and, and talk the talk. I mean, and, and I, I use that, you know, kind of, kind of straightforward. I I think for the, for you, if you're new and you're listening, you know, I, I hope that we have de-emphasized the thought process that you need to be tough and you need to not let these things bother you. Um, my opinion is it's completely natural that if things bother you, um, that it's, that's okay. And I, I think, you know, if you take the next steps that as, as it can, it continues to bother you, 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 you recognize it, you reach out for help. Maybe you set up this buddy system. What you're doing as a leader is you're showing, uh, you're, you're, you're acting like everybody's like, like you want somebody else to act and you're doing, um, what, others will do. Uh, and I think if we can get you as newer, the newer group to, to do this, then it becomes normalized. It becomes yes. what we should do. And, yes. and I think just if you flip it over 
and everybody suppresses it. We don't talk about it. It's not cool to say it around the, the kitchen table. It's not cool to talk about it. You're lesser if you say something. You're weaker if you if you if you continue to talk about it. If we keep doing that, we are teaching the next generation to do that. Exactly. And so I want to flip that on its end. I, I I think if you're a new person, walk the walk, talk the talk. You know, um, recognizing that it's okay. And um, I, I think that that would be the biggest the biggest message is it's OK and try and find that path and and um, carry that torch a bit. And, yeah. and I think what you'll find is, is that middle generation, maybe into that senior firefighter rank, they've been there. They've been around the block yeah. and back and forth again. And, yeah. you know, I think what you'll probably do is you'll grab a you'll grab a certain percentage of that middle generation and that senior firefighter group to say, you know what, this is OK. And, yeah. and that is that is fine. Or maybe that person that's just a little reluctant and has been yeah. living and and torturing, torturing themselves mentally. You could you could flip somebody by just doing those simple Absolutely. things. I love what you said about erasing that stigma of mental health, especially early in careers. I know most of our departments, you know, we have we, we have young departments, you know, argu arguably one of the youngest fire services we may have seen in recent years. You know, I'm sure, you know, the, the medic one is probably experiencing as well as, you know, the fire departments all around the mass retirements, but also the mass hirings, you know, by getting ahead of mental health now early, uh, you know, we, we can make paradigm shifts and thought processes and, and actions by capturing this huge wave, you know, of new hires, but also this new generation of firefighters and paramedics. So, yeah. Uh, how about the emerging leaders and organizations? New officers, aspiring officers, that emerging leader, that maybe five, 10 year individual. What's one thing they could start doing today to start growing as leaders in this arena? Yeah, no, great. I in and I it my theme's not gonna be too far off of the original theme. Good. Which yeah. is, you know, which is uh, walk the walk and talk the talk. You know, if you're a, a, a an emerging leader, a company officer uh in your your department, I, I think creating consistency. Um, in some sort of mental health capacity is important. Um, we mentioned the hot wash, mm -hmm. um, you know, the hot wash being uh, that quick debrief at the tailboard, tailboard hot wash, you know, yes. after, uh, after a serious call, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I can't even begin to imagine the number of, of these that I've been involved in just standing at the tailboard after a yeah. really terrible crash or uh, a really bad fire with victims uh, or, uh, a really crazy CPR. You know, I think an emerging leader, when they just get the mindset that mental health is important and, you know, to some extent, a protection of your crew uh, mm -hmm. in, in the same sense that you want to make sure everybody goes home tomorrow. Yeah. I, I mean, could could we potentially be thinking about a mental health component? Um, and the hot wash is the easy one, um, but you know, maybe even in training, uh, you know, uh, every component of fire and EMS clearly training has a patient, a, a patient, uh, a patient compartment to it. It has a, it has a patient care component to it. And I, I think, you know, an emerging leader might be able to plug in some mental health pieces, which then creates consistency. And again, normalizes the conversation. Absolutely. It's, it's not taboo. It's not, exactly. it's not something we can't talk about. Exactly. Um, I don't, and I, you know, from, you know, now from the perspective of the emerging leader, I don't think it makes that leader weak. Right. I don't think it makes that leader lesser. I don't right. think it makes that leader 
uh, not important because they've prioritized mental mental health. Um, and and I think that that is something that with the new emerging leaders, 50% of our group being brand new, yeah. uh, you just trickle that right up and you're going to have a large amount of company officers and a, love, a large amount of those emerging leaders that are new as well. And so oh, creating totally that consistency great. is important. Oh, absolutely. And I love what you said about that hot wash piece. You know, that hot wash is super important, you know, because, you know, it, it's right there. It just happened. You know, things are in details are, you know, fresh in our minds. You know, we actually had a call when I was back on shift. This was, you know, last year, uh, a pretty traumatic call. And I could tell at the end of this call, you know, the whole crew was, you know, bothered by it. So, you know, I took the crew out of service. You know, we went back to the station. We invited the battalion chief. Um, you know, we just, you know, wanted to talk. We, you know, we debriefed, kind of hashed it out. Uh, I mean, I think for that particular call and that particular crew as well, you know, it, it worked for us. You know, some calls will be, you know, worthwhile to go out of service for, you know, some calls will hit closer to home than others. Uh, but I think it is okay to, you know, go out of service, check in with the crew, check in with each member individually as well, you know, and uh, it, it, by going out of service, it, it might work uh, for that crew. You know, some calls it'll, you know, it'll be worthwhile, some not so much. Um, or not as needed, I should say, but, you know, but that's okay. It offers the opportunity to check in, you know, with each member, you know, before, you know, a potential next call comes in. And I, I think about, you know, goes to the saying, and, you know, we all say it, you know, officers want to make sure that their crew members go home at the end of each shift. Uh, how about this? You know, how, how about ensuring each member goes home well, mentally well at the end of each shift. And I think we could do that by doing, you know, some of these small steps as we talked about. All right. Finally, let's move to uh, the third and the final. Speak to those chiefs out there, Mark, if you don't mind. Uh, battalion chiefs, division chiefs, deputy chiefs, even the fire chief. What's something that they could do uh, today to create a culture to embrace mental wellness, awareness, um, and anything that we talked about today, you know, to help ensure that our members are doing better mentally day in and day out? I, I love this conversation. We did not – this is not pre, pre – uh pre-done like we didn't have this but no. what i love yeah. about this is that what you just said with going out of service listen if you are a division chief a chief of your department a battalion chief i think the biggest thing you can do for mental health is support your company officers and support your your emerging leaders with the decision to protect their crews i i think that's that's huge if if you can get the support of of that um, that upper echelon of your department to say that this is a priority, um, and you know at the the discretion of those company officers protecting their crews to take a to take a crew out of service for an hour, we, that's we're we're all distraught. We need to go wash this off. We're going to go talk about it, and everybody's going to get a shower, and we're going to get our food, and then we're going to we're going to be back in service in two hours. You know, that, that little mental break uh, is powerful all the way down to that junior firefighter who just started. Mm -hmm. And now we're full circle with our conversation of this is so impactful for the new generation coming into the fire service to see that not only does my company officer provide this support for me, but my division chief, my battalion chief, and my my fire chief really support this. And, and that is, that is truly the full, the full effect of, yeah. of, of the mental health component of it. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously, you know, from the chief's perspective, uh, offering the resources and being, um, being that, uh, that linchpin between those resources, looking for resources, looking for outlets, looking for training, 
um, and and uh, and really kind of prioritizing that no different than uh, than much of the other training we do. Um, yeah. Mental health type of training and information shouldn't be any less important than the than the EMS training or any less important than the fire training. It needs to be equally as important. And I think a, a leader in your department that does that um, it, it would be great because yeah. they're going to be showing that that junior firefighter exactly uh, what to expect when it comes to mental health. Thank you. And uh, as, as you mentioned, training, you know, uh, we had a guest on the show a few months back and he talked about this regarding, you know, mental and behavioral health. You know, over the years, fire departments and police departments you know, we've increased the amount of training that we've all done, right? We've uh, increased uh, the mandatory training hours at, you know, whether it be in the recruit academy, the mandatory, you know, monthly or quarterly, uh, you know, or annual training hours. Um, but how many hours did we increase uh, spending on our mental health? I mean, did we? I don't know that we did. Um, in fact, the further, you know, the more training that we actually add to, you know, the areas of the profession, um, on those, you know, competencies, you know, we're getting further and further away from as far as comparatively training um, in our mental health. I mean, arguably, we should be, you know, as we increase the amount of training hours in other areas, mental health training should be, you know, focused as well. So one thing I do want to bring up right now on this podcast, and Chief, I want to thank you very much for bringing this to my attention. And now we get to share it here with all of our listeners. Peers reporting. The Personal Injury Illness Exposure Reporting System, you know, sponsored by the Washington State Council of Firefighters. Everything we talked about today, the mental health aspect, these are exposures. Uh, it need not be isolated or specific to fires, right? I know many of us started to document exposures such as, you know, coronavirus exposures as well. But mental health, right? These are traumatic exposures and or injuries, if you will, right? You know, to the brain, to our bodies, to our psychological well-being, these are peers worthy of reporting, Chief. Yes? Absolutely. I, I mean, listen, again, you just said it best. It doesn't have to be some sort of, a, a, you know, physical thing that you came in contact with. This is just as powerful. And and quite honestly, I mean, it's the, it's, it's the virtual diary, if you will. Um, you know, I, you asked me earlier what things would I have done differently. This is definitely one of those things as well. If 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 these things creep up later in your career and these things come to kind of haunt you as things go that direction, then potentially, um, you know, having this documentation of which calls you were on uh, in what years, this this definitely paints the picture of what I guess, you know, would be helpful for you to know, to reflect on, mm -hmm. but also from a medical side of the, you know, you know, from the the clinical diagnosis of PTSD, and Absolutely. and 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 unfortunately, you know, some of us all the way to the nth degree, you know, in in not being able to do the job anymore, but yep. potentially that would be helpful to have, so you know exactly what you're dealing with, and it is the paper trail, if you will, yes. of of your your mental health challenges and exposures yeah. uh, of of those types of things. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, self admit here you know, hold myself accountable. I'm logged into my peer support account right now, right? I've got it opened up right now as we're sitting here on this call and there is not nearly enough reporting here, right? Um, and I'm going to admit again that there are zero reports on mental health calls. I mentioned earlier, you know, on this call that there was a call late last year where my crew and I, you know, experienced a, a very mentally traumatic experience on a call and that's not on there. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to look up this information, you know, when this call ends, 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I have the ability to find the incident number and I'm going to backdate it. I'm going to get it to my peers reporting and I'm going to enter it. I'm also going to send the incident response number um, and date and send that to the crew that was on that call. And I'm going to ask them to report it there as well. Uh, I'm going to encourage everyone listening here from here forward to please consider your peers reporting when encountering calls that are significant to you. And I'm going to emphasize here to you, it does not necessarily have to be significant to somebody else, uh, but this is your reporting system and it's not somebody else's. This is your documentation. So I'd encourage all to consider this. And I want to thank you personally, Chief, for bringing this up today. You know, we as leaders need not be short-sighted and say that, you know, we want our crews to go home at the end of the shift, but let's do our part to ensure that our people and our crews go home healthy and well, not just at the end of the shift, but how about at the end of our career? And I think the peer reporting system is one small way to help us get there. And for those listeners out there who are outside of Washington State, I'm sure your department, your state council, even the international level, some sort of personal reporting system, get in there, document. So let's go to the leadership challenge. And leadership challenge chief is a part of the show uh, where we formally ask the guest speaker to challenge somebody uh, to come talk leadership here on the kitchen table. So if I may ask, is there somebody out there that you'd like to call out on this show? Someone that you believe would be a good candidate to come talk leadership, share a message and or a philosophy, uh, you know, to our listeners. Absolutely. I mean, this is uh, hilarious that you're asking me this question. I, there is a uh, a new MSO, uh, just just like myself. Uh, his name is Evan Van Otten. Uh, Evan is uh, what we call MSO 10. He's our health and safety officer for, oh. for Medic One uh, and also in charge of recruitment and hiring. And, and I got to say, you know, Evan is the perfect, uh, perfect person uh, and has several um, probably great messages from a leadership standpoint. So I, I you know, I challenge Evan. <laughs> Thank you for the challenge. And we've actually had uh, Division Chief Andy Tate on our show last year, and I've yet to meet his replacement. Sounds like uh, this is Andy's replacement. Yeah. It is. It is. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Evan, in little sidebar, Evan, Evan actually worked very closely with uh, MSO Tate, uh, uh, you know, as he was departing. Um, and right. uh, I think that's some of the beauty of Evan is, you know, just kind of that 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 kind of merging into traffic in this position and um, probably has a lot of great leadership thoughts and qualities that could yeah. be really, really profound for kind of that merging into traffic into a new position um, from a position that was vacated by somebody who did it um, in, in your organization. So, yes. well, thank you so much, Mark. And I always say on this show. You know, the success of the podcast, the conversation only continues on because of our guest speakers, um, as well as our guest speakers calling out and challenging other leaders out there in the fire service um, or other to come share a leadership message on the show. So thank you. And I will reach out to Chief Van Otten and let him know that Mark Sodden has leadership challenged him here on the kitchen table. So how about any lasting leadership thoughts to our listeners before we close today on the kitchen table? Uh, listen, my philosophy with the fire service in general has been, you know, you chose this path to help people and it's a difficult job and you, you chose, you chose the path. And, and for me personally, I, I know that every day I come to work, I, I really want to make a difference in someone's life. I mean, this sounds very cliche and very canned, but I truly in my heart believe this. And, you know, I think the philosophy for me is, is be nice, do the right thing as, as best as I possibly can, um, and go the extra step to make sure that what you're doing, 
um, has a positive influence on someone's life. I mean, those, I mean, just off the top of my head, you know, those are the things that I just really try hard to do. And, you know, I have a bad day. We all have a bad day. But if, if, if I just try and be nice and I try and do the right thing and I, I really try to make a difference in, in someone's, uh, someone's life, uh, then, then, then I, I think I'm, I think I'm winning, yeah. right? Like, I think, I think I'm winning. So yeah, this, this is good. I, I don't know if that's really like, we need to make a t-shirt on this, or something, <laughs> but, but I, you know, I mean, those are, those are fairly basic things, as, very, maybe even cliche things, but and as they should be. to me. As they should be chief. I mean, I truly believe, I mean, as they should be leadership need not be super co- complex concepts. Right. I mean, as you mentioned, things like, you know, be kind, show up, do a good job smile, make a difference in people's lives. I mean, the greatest thing about all of what you just said, Chief, is, you know, I believe every single one of us can do every single one of the, the things that you just said, you know, just now and throughout, you know, throughout our conversation over the last hour. So, you know, it goes to the old saying, you know, we don't necessarily need to know more, uh, but we need to do more with what we already know. So I think that's awesome. Thank you so much, Chief. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your, I'm sure, super busy day um, for spending, you know, talking to us and sharing your message. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Uh, We truly hope that you found this time valuable. And we hope that we've inspired you to take action, to lead, and to help spread this leadership conversation. Until next time, be safe, be intentional, and stay curious.